Hey there, you who is listening to the podcast right now. Thank you so much for listening. Okay, so something crazy has happened, which is this podcast has somehow made it to the homepage of Apple Podcasts. So I want to thank you to Tim Cook and all the people at Apple who were involved in making this decision. I don't know who made this decision, but it's been great for the podcast. We found tons of new listeners who are enjoying it. And so thanks for reaching out. Thanks for your reviews. We try to release something every two weeks, but because so many people are on the podcast right now, I actually had an idea to release something this week. And this is an episode that is from our archives, from our vault, that we thought would be unreleased because we did a few test episodes early on as we were trying to make this happen. And so we did these test episodes and just wanted to try it out um, to see what would work. And the audio isn't as great as in some of our other episodes, but I think the content is really strong here. So if you, like me, love this movie, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, then I invite you, take some time, listen to it, share what you think. If the audio quality bothers you, we have lots of other episodes with better audio, but I think uh, the audio is not too bad here. We did some stuff to sweeten it, and most of all, the thoughts and the conversation is a lot of fun and energetic, and so I invite you to check out this episode of The Meaning of the Movie. Hey everyone, welcome to our podcast called The Meaning of the Movie. My name is Rob Stinnett, and these are my co-hosts, Andrew Harmon and John Bolin. What's up, fellas? What's up, Rob Stinnett? Hey guys, good to be here. It's going to be fun uh, recording today. I think it's going to be super fun because we're dealing with a Hall of Fame movie for you, John. Like, this is probably, like, when I first met you, like, I was the Star Wars guy, you were the Indiana Jones guy, and we're actually, like, skipping ahead all the way to the part three. But um, what does Indiana Jones mean to you, John? Like, why were you attracted to it? Why, why did this story like resonate with you so much? Well, first of all, Indiana Jones and if Indiana Jones, Raiders of the Lost Ark, the, the first indie movie was actually the first movie I ever saw in a movie theater. Really? Whoa. Yeah. So I, I was, uh, I think the Were you 25 or like 30? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, I, uh, yeah, I was 11 years old and my aunt Maya took me to Raiders of the Lost Ark. And I just remember sitting in that theater and I just went to a different place watching, watching that film. And so for an hour and a half, I thought to myself, that's, that's the kind of person that I want to be. Like, that's the guy. That's the like, It was an, the biggest aha thing for me. So, so I don't know, the story, the Indiana Jones ethos the whole idea of that movie is like really deep in in who i am so yeah i love indiana jones as a character as a film the whole nine yards yeah i mean we've been friends for a long time john and i can't think of indiana jones almost without thinking of you because i just know how much that story means to you and my dad it's actually my dad's favorite movie as well so you're, those are the two people who i think about with this movie and so we're doing part three today Raiders of the Lost Ark comes out 1981. Temple Doom comes out 1984, which is, by all counts, a dumpster fire. It's actually the movie that invents the PG-13 rating, Temple of Doom and Gremlins, because parents were so horrified. They're like, how is this PG? And then Lucas and Spielberg didn't want to start it for a long time. And then in 1989, Temple of Doom, or sorry, in 1989, Last Crusade comes out. And I want to talk about that in a moment. But before we even get to that, I'm curious from you guys, Part threes in general, I think part threes are where movies go to die. Like part threes are where franchises jump the shark. When I say like part three of a movie series, what are you guys thinking? I mean, I, I love a part three. I don't, I'm, Do you I'm really? so curious. Oh, I, I, well, it depends on, I guess the series, but I think there are so many series where part two can be like in this one where part two is like, mm, what's happening here? And then three comes back and like molds this like great finish. Um, I totally disagree. I totally disagree. I think for the most part, like sequels are like, okay, there's something there. And part threes are just like, this is our cash grab. This is when we're going to go and just slap something on the screen and make it happen and get whatever money is still in this cow. Like that's what part sure. threes are to me. Like most of them. And I actually have a, exhaustive list but i think most of them are pretty bad um so i'm curious that you like actually like them well i have the exact same opinion as you as, as what you just said there but with part fours 
I don't think I don't think part threes or fours are bad or part twos are bad. I th- here's the thing: some of them, sure, there are some part two, three, fours, whatever that are poor filmmaking. But the uh, what do you call it? A franchise movie is so important. Like from Rocky to Jaws to Mad Max to Star Wars to Indiana Jones to Chronicles of Narnia and Lord of the Rings. Like there's so many, you can't, Godfather for Christ. Now, are there, are there bad ones in each one of those? Yes. Are there ones that should never have been made? Without a doubt. But should there be a franchise? Yes. You can't, that's like, that's like the volume of work for the story. I'm just telling you though, like when is the last time you watched Jaws 3? That movie is horrendous. When is the last time you watched Godfather 3? Like, it is horrible. Like, like sequels are something, and then part threes are where, like... Mad old. Max 3, Rocky 3, uh, <laughs> Toy Story 3, like some of the best threes right there. And this one right here we're talking about today is one of the best threes, I think, of all time. So let me give you my case of, like, like I have three lists of part threes and three categories. Okay. And the first category is part threes that disgrace the franchise. And I have a list of <laughs> list of part threes that actually like, oh man, this just makes the franchise totally sad. You ready for my list? Beverly Hills I'm, Cop 3. Jaws yes. 3D. Friday the 13th 3D. Godfather 3. Crocodile yeah. Dundee in LA. Have you seen Crocodile Dundee in LA? <laughs> it's not good, man. The escalator scene. It's, it's, okay, Terminator 3, Rise of the Machines. Yep. yep. Matrix Revolutions. Hangover 3. Superman 3 is the worst movie ever made. Like Superman 2 is a work of art, and Superman 3, it, it craters. It's so disastrous. Spider Man 3. Spider Man 3, yeah. Little Fockers. <laughs> Little Fockers <laughs> is on my list as Meet the Parents Part 3. Uh, uh, that's fair. Alien 3, Jurassic Park 3, and even Star Wars 9, The Rise of Skywalker. Like, all of yeah. those movies, like, disgrace the franchise. Like, they're, they're not good movies. And they actually, like, it's like, okay, maybe there's an okay Part 2, but there's, like, so many examples of bad Part 3s. Um, well, so- and there's no question that Part, to your point earlier, the Part 3s, are all too often about the money and less about the story. And sometimes the story's like either done and really needs to be wrapped, but there's still money to be made, or it's just bad storytelling because the filmmakers feel the need to have the part three. Yeah. I, I think that's what it is. It's like, it's kind of like a band that like runs out the greatest hits. And that's what so many part threes feel like. It's like, okay, we're checking all the boxes, like the greatest hits. And that's kind of what it is. And we just want to do that. But it feels like so limp and dead by then. I got to add your list though, Rob. Uh, X-Men 3. X-Men 3. Uh, horrible. X-Men 3. Horrible film. Craters and X-Men 2 that. is good. X-Men 2 is really good. And X-Men 3 is just like, I, I was like, oh no. But don't you, don't you love it though? Don't you love it when a franchise movie like redeems itself with a part, whatever it is, three, four, five, two, when they, when they, when they, when they crater and then they resurrect and they, they, they redeem. Cause I think when we're, the one we're talking about today, which I know we're not into yet, but I think three redeemed two in, in this case. Well, and okay, here's my next. So the first, the first one is disgrace the franchise. My next list is part threes that are better than the sequel. So they're not quite as good as the original, but better than the sequel. Here's my, and, and okay. maybe, or at least like on par. My list is Back to the Future 3, Die Hard 3, which I think, like I have a soft part for, for Die Hard 2, but Die Hard 3 is really great. Lord of the Rings, Return of the King, Rocky 3, which definitely is better than Rocky 2. It's got Mr. T, it's got Hulk Hogan, it's just, it's got Eye of the Tiger, like Rocky 3. Uh, Ocean's 13, <laughs> and Nightmare on Elm Street Ooh, disagree. Two. Those are my, like, those are my, like, ah, they're better than the sequel. They're not as good as the original, but at least they're better. I'd yeah, add I, Mad Max. I'd add Mad Max 3 to that list. Better than Road Warrior? <laughs> like, Road Warrior is like the main Mad Max where, like, Mel Gibson has the dog and the chains and Kevin Costner ripped no, it off in Waterboro. And so Mad I'm Max like, 3 is, uh, like, Thunderdome, right? Thunderdome. I actually do like Mad Max 3. So maybe that lives in its own category. I don't know. What do you think of those movies better than the sequel? Like, where am I off? Where am I on? Yeah, I think, I think, um, the, uh, oceans trilogy. I totally forgot about the oceans trilogy when I was making 
my list because that I would also call that like a true classic trilogy where they made one, then made another, then said, hey, let's make another one. And they're all three independent stories. Um, the first one was so dynamite in the way that it did its like heist twist. Um, and I think the second two had no idea what to do with that. And so the first one gives you a twist that's completely out of nowhere and ruins the movie. And then I think Ocean's 13, the third one, like has no twist. They just like do a heist and walk away. And so I felt them both were both 12 and 13 were like equally like, meh. like I kind of walked away from both of them being like, that was fine, I guess. Yeah. And and the only reason I, get, I put that on the list, because I was like, ah, maybe it was a little better than the sequel, because it kind of went back to Vegas and did some of the stuff yeah. that I want. But I don't. I could never watch that movie again or think about it for the rest of my life and be totally fine. <laughs> what a comment. So then I have, so I, have some- I, so I had, I had, I had Harry Potter and toy story also as good threes. Well, so here's my final list, which is okay. the best film in the franchise, best film in the franchise, which is here's my list. The good, the bad, and the ugly Harry Potter and the prisoner of Akraban. Azkaban, sorry, Andrew, I knew you were going to correct me there. Uh, Chris, <laughs> you ready for this one? Christmas Vacation, which is the third of the National Lampoon's movie, Toy Story 3, and The Last Crusade, I actually think is a better film than Raiders of the Lost Ark, and I may get my film nerd card like taken away from me for ta- thinking Ooh, that, but I actually that's a, that's that. a Yeah, that's a, that's a steep uh, assertion for sure to put it above Raiders. Right. I'm a little dumbstruck by that because I, I mean, as I was watching this last night, I was like, this is fun, but like, it's no Raiders. Like I kept thinking that. Well, but Raiders, I think part of what made Raiders Raiders was it was first. It was, it was unlike anything that had ever been made before. It brought together so many genres of comedy and action. And all, I mean, it just, it was, it was unique in itself and we'd never seen that before. And then we, and then after Raiders, we saw Romancing the Stone and then eventually we saw, you know, Laura Croft, et cetera. But when Raiders came out, it just, there was nothing quite like it. Well, it, it is a like landmark film and like on all the top 100 lists of all times, Raiders is always on there. Um, and it, and it meant so much. So I'm probably in the minority for thinking that. Um, and, and I probably would flip flop this opinion next week and like, oh no, the Raiders is the best. But I'm going to talk about that later in the podcast of like why I think this is sure. the best film in the franchise. But but, you know, that's my list. Like, it's very rare that a part three is better than the sequel or even the best film in the franchise, like almost never happens. And I do right. think, John, what you were saying earlier, part of my case for why this is the best film in the franchise is because it fixes a legacy of like what this franchise means. And it like cements it. If if it would have been if we would have had Raiders of the Lost Ark. Temple of Doom and then Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, if that would have been the third movie, like how do we look at Indiana Jones? Like, what are we even thinking about? <laughs> so, so now we're gonna talk about Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Like, talk about you fix something and then you go rebreak the thing that you fixed. <laughs> well, to I me, that's that's the thing with these like late generation fours, which we're getting right now in the like mad nostalgia grab. Like we have that with this we have that uh with uh, like the born trilogy where they do like a four way later well creed and rocky i think did a good job of the four and five or wherever they're at no we're, we're way beyond four that's a reboot i guess that was after rocky balboa which is what i would say would be the like late edition you know okay yeah. as a grow up and i would actually argue that godfather three is much more like a um a, one of these fours right then, totally like it's in that same your, spirit original one two and then you go 10 years and say hey you remember that thing that people love let's make another one but i'm curious what like rob you you asked us, like where does this rank like i'm curious what your guys's ranking of best threes are is this number one so my rankings my number one is toy story three i'm sure we'll do an Absolutely. episode on that because i adore that movie it's probably one of my favorite movies ever this is my number two and then my number three is probably good the bad and the ugly like i just think that like that film, Clint Eastwood, Spaghetti Western, like it, you don't really think of it in part three, um, but, right. but that's really meaningful one. What, what's your rankings? Yeah, that's, that's, that's fascinating. I, cause I, I feel like Good and Bad and the Ugly is like, like people forget that's a part of a trilogy. Right. Right. The, um, a few dollars more. Fistful of dollars. Fistful of dollars, right? Like people are like, 
are those movies? Like most, unless you're like a film or like a Western nerd, they haven't even heard of the first two movies in that series. Um, what's, what's yours, John? Like where does this fall in your, so, in your rankings? I mean, for me, it's probably the, the top three, you know, the top number three. Okay. Um, and Toy Story 3 is definitely in the top three of my top three. And uh, I actually, this is going to get me in trouble at some point, but, but I, I really, uh, Return of the Jedi for me was like, it was an epic and a lot of it had to do with just where I was in life and seeing it in the theater. I mean, I was, it took me an hour and a half to get to the front of the line outside of the theater before I got into the theater. And it, it just has a place like Indiana Jones for me. It's the same thing. So Return of the Jedi is definitely up there in the top threes to me. Yeah. For me, Return of the Jedi is my, is my number two. So I'm with you, Rob. Toy Story 3, that's the top of my list. I was surprised that was it, it for you because that one, I'm so glad we, we have to do that as a podcast at some point uh, in life. But for me, um, Return of the Jedi is my my number two when i was a kid like that's the one i would put on repeat like when i had my options as an adult i look back and i'm like all right all the star wars nerds are right like empire is probably the best star wars movie but like as a kid i was not turned off by the like star wars muppet fest i was like all of these space muppets are amazing and i was all in on i mean i freaking loved it the whole like jabba escape capture scene i mean i would eat eat that stuff up it was I mean, you guys know me, you know what Star Wars means to me. And so I, I'm all here for the Star Wars love, like, like bring it on. It was weird for me because I put it in three categories, I had three categories, which were one, disgrace of franchise, two, better than the sequel, and then three, best in the trilogy. And Empire, I mean, sorry, Return of the Jedi was none of those categories for me. It, it, it doesn't do any of that. It's yeah. not better than the sequel. It's not the best in the franchise, but it also doesn't disgrace the franchise. I literally had it in its own category where I'm like, I don't know where to talk about this, but it's definitely yeah. in like, if we're just talking in general top threes of all time, like, yeah, it's, it's right in there. It's in my top five. Something that I think is really interesting that both Toy Story and Star Wars do as far as trilogies is they're all completely separate stories that were written at separate times, but tell a definable arc, right? They're not one long story like a Lord of the Rings. Um, they're all separate quests, separate things, but at, at the end, right, the third, the third movie comes in and like sort of wraps up this saga that you didn't realize was a saga going in. Um, and I think Return of the Jedi for me does that so well. Um, Absolutely. While Indy, the movie we're actually here to talk about today, is really like three completely independent films. And you can kind of watch pretty much any of them without having seen the other ones. Well, let's get into it. Let's talk about the meaning of the movie. I have some categories. First one is, what did this movie mean for the filmmakers? And I wanted to talk about a few of them in specifically. One is George Lucas. Is this the last great George Lucas film? Yes. I mean, it's pretty rough after this. Like, like it's crazy to think about like 1989, but it pretty much like falls off a cliff for him after 1989. I'm not really I mean, sure. He made Willow? Did he make Willow after this? Willow was before this, which I love oh, okay. Willow, by the way. Like, right. I, like that's early Val Kilmer. That's Warwick Davis. I was say there's, yeah. But that's, there's that's an argument to be this. made for Willow, but. But yeah, uh, that, like it's pretty much it. He, he pretty much then like makes a couple other projects, but his 80s outside of Star Wars is really rough. And then his 90s is almost like non-existent until he starts making prequels. Um, and so it's weird. It's like, this is the last good movie that George Lucas did, period, in my opinion, which is pretty amazing considering like who he is and what he did. Um, Spielberg. And he And he's not just a producer. He has a story credit on right. this too. So it's him and another guy. I'm not remembering it right now. But um, so he was, you know, not just a sort of consulting is there enough adventure producer on this thing? Like he really concepted the story. Right. He, he was a huge part. What about Spielberg? Where do you think this ranks in like your Spielberg canon or what does this mean for Spielberg? I mean, I think this was the, this was the, the movie in the franchise that catapulted him 
and cemented him as the guy of that era. I mean, I, I think Indy was like, oh, who is this guy? And and even the films before that, but but this was to me a like, okay, he's not going anywhere. You know, he he and so I think it was an important movie in the Spielberg, like going from being, you know, he had a few really important movies, and then this one was like the, the beginning of his television era and producing, I mean, just really expanding beyond just a, a few great films. Yeah. I mean, he was, he was making like two films a year in the nineties, like af- after this, this is, this comes out in 89, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. It feels like this is like the final kind of like Lincoln log <laughs> to cement him. Like you were saying, John is like the ultimate blank check director. Um, like at this point, he's not just a flash in the pan he kind of can now do anything he wants. And it feels like to me, the nineties become then his heyday to do everything from drama to adventure to, you know, children's movies, like he Television just goes work, all that. wherever he wants it after this. Um, yeah. yeah so I mean, he does kind of prove himself. You look at, completely. you look at his IMDb. I'm looking at it right now. So he makes jaws, which is like all time, you know, feature right. kicking off. Then he makes close encounters. He makes 1941. Then he makes, Raiders of the Lost Ark, incredible. Next year after Raiders of the Lost Ark, E.T. So it's like, okay, he is off. Like, that's, a, that's an incredible one-two punch. But then the rest of his 80s are like Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, uh, The Color of Purple, Amazing Stories, Empire of the Sun. Like, he doesn't really do... After E.T., there's kind of a dry period. Now he's producing a lot. He's doing Goonies. He's doing Back to the Future, Poltergeist. Like, he's a producer on all those movies. But they're not directed by him. So it was, it was almost like, does he still have it? Does he still have the magic? And then That's what I think, yeah. He, he makes but Last like Crusade. Color Purple and um, Empire of the Sun, they may not be the like fun blockbusters that he's known for, but they're still well-respected movies even now. Like, they that are. That was kind of his first, his first foray into like, you know, drama. They were respected movies and still are respected movies. But when I say Spielberg, Empire of the Sun is not the first. Like if I say list all the Spielberg movies, Empire of the Sun is probably like number 15 color purple, which, you know, like those are great and fine movies, but it's not like this guy who defined so much of the eighties. When you think of eighties movies, you actually think of Spielberg, but a lot of what you think about is what he produced as much as what he directed. And this is the movie that was like, Oh, the Spielberg magic is back. And he even talked about it. He was, you know, going through a dark time during temple of doom. So was Lucas. And he's like, man, I just want to get out there and play the greatest hits. Like, I want to go out and create, like, something that people will just love and adore and be all about. And, like, that's what this movie was. Um, okay, another person. What about Harrison Ford? What do you think this movie meant for Harrison Ford? I think it meant for Harrison Ford what it meant for Spielberg to a large degree. I think he had done, obviously, the Star Wars movies. And then his his playing Indiana Jones in the first film really cemented him as a Hollywood A-list actor. I think Temple of Doom, honestly, was like, everybody was like, okay, that really didn't help anyone. And then this one, Last Crusade, I think I think it, it established him as the it guy, which then, of course, he went on, even more than Spielberg, to a large degree, to be the star for the next 10 years in so many films and franchises. You know? Well, what's interesting is this is the last franchise film he stars in. So he's like, he's Han Solo, you know, in that whole run. And then he's Indiana Jones in that whole run. And then he doesn't really like star as the franchise guy. Like he's in great movies. He's in, I guess, Patriot Games, like all the the I was just going to say, I feel like he was a Tom Clancy. He was a running Tom Clancy character for a while. Yeah. And so maybe that's not true, but I guess when I think Harrison Ford franchises, so yeah, he did that, but you know, his nineties are more like. Patriot Games, Air Force One, The Fugitive, you know, he's in those kind of movies. Regarding Henry, that was in there somewhere. (laughs) Right, (laughs) regarding Just just classic Harrison Ford work right there. Which is not like like the top 35 Harrison Ford movies. (laughs) It's one of those, he's like, please forget that one. Come on. When was the last time you were with someone like, man, you guys, you just want to pop on regarding Henry and see. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, last guy, Sean Connery. What did this movie mean for him? I think it's interesting to watch the, this film and it's especially like he comes in at like what, like the 40 minute mark. Yeah. Like pretty late in the, in the movie. And I was watching this and I was like, when Spielberg and Lucas are concepting this character was their whole pitch. Like what if James Bond was actually an archeologist? 
to, because to me, like, that's what this thing is. Yes, like, he's like, absolutely. He's like the man's man, right? Men want to be him. Women want to get with him, right? Like the, like before you meet Sean Connery, they have like the most bond ish, like scene with, the lady character where With she's Elsa. like, don't be so arrogant. And then they right. start making out and they sleep like, together. Right? I love I Venice. Like, yeah. Right. I love Venice. I was like, I was like, this is a James Bond movie with a fedora and a whip. Um, and then, so to go and then Sean Connery is his dad. It feels like, so like not on the nose, but like this I- idea of like tor- torch passing to like the next generation of like manly macho hero, which I think a little bit of watch this movie now is somewhat problematic. Um, but it, it, it feels like there's a very, you're totally right. Intentional I mean, torch pass. To this me. is like, they were very conscious. It'd be like sort of picking like, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio picking the next young, young up and comer guy. Like, I don't even know who it is right now. Or, you know, like it'd be like Brad Pitt being in a movie with Ryan Gosling, something like that. It's like, okay, this is the next guy. And, and little, not in the next guy, but like Indiana Jones is a D- James Bond character. And they're very conscious right. of that, even though they're only 12 years apart in age, Sean Connery and Harrison Ford, which is kind of an amazing yeah. <laughs> sort of, and Connery didn't want to do it at first because they were so close in age. Well, they, they do a really good job. And I feel like Connery does a great job of, get, of like playing against type, like every Connery role you see, even when he's older, he's so like manly and brusque and like, I'm a boat captain. Or like, I, you know, and in this, he's got like a silly bucket hat and like, the umbrella, like he's really, really going all in. It was really in- interesting to see him not play Sean Connery. Right. Whatever the conversation was then to get him on the movie, like he, he was all in. He bought into it, you know? John, what, what are your Sean Connery thoughts? What did it mean for Sean Connery? I think it meant that, that, it was a, that he still had it. He had the it that factor. He had the ability to draw people. He was still a leading man. You know, it hmm. wasn't really just Harrison Ford with Sean Connery. It did feel like the two of them were were leading the slate together. So, um, and I, I mean, this what, movie comes alive when the two of them get together. Like it's a the, whole it's sparks. a whole new thing. Yes, yeah. So, which I think they tried to do in Crystal Skull with uh, with uh, Shia LaBeouf, and it just it just didn't happen. You know, Shia LaBeouf. But the Shia LaBeouf? Yeah, Shia LaBeouf. He is not going to be the next Sean Connery, I don't think. Um, although, no, yeah. I, and that, I just, that chemistry didn't, it, they tried to, it felt like they tried to make that, like match that chemistry that we had in this movie. And it just, it just fell flat. But here it just, it works. The chemistry there works in every way, you know. Well, and we've never seen Harrison Ford play against someone like that. And I think that's what made this movie so poignant, meaningful to me is this is a powerful father-son story, I think. And I saw this movie with my dad, 1989 in the theater, and I was starting to be, be conscious of like, oh, my dad and who he is and like what he is as a person. But like Sean Connery, what, like I think every young guy in the theater, like Sean Connery was that dad figure. And kind of like, I think so many, I think a generation of men like processed their own dad through Sean Connery and through that relationship. Like, I think that's how powerful and poignant it was. Um, and so, but... But I'm going to talk about that more. I'm stepping on my own category a little bit. Um, what does this mean? <laughs> what does this mean to the audience and critics? And a hush fell over the crowd. Well, I'm curious, like um, a couple things. One, I can tell you for an audience level, this was the second biggest movie of 1989. It was um, Batman. That's the same summer that Batman comes out. Lethal Weapon right. 2. And uh, Last Crusade, like those are the movies that everyone's talking about that summer. And those right. are the movies that made all the money that year. And so audiences widely like this movie is universally beloved. Um, I'm curious, John, do you have the uh, Rotten Tomatoes score? I do. Let's go to, to Rotten Tomatoes first. Tell sure. me what you think the um, critic score was for this. What's the critic score? I'm going to say 93%. I'm going to say 82 so I guess I'll split the difference there with the two of you. The actual score was 88 for the critics. It was 88. Okay. So that's, that's pretty decent. 80, 88. Well, what do you think the 12% is that critics didn't, didn't like? There's some just in being a part three, you know, like it's hard for critics yeah. just to really, you know, not be into it. Or maybe it's a little too, it is a little goofier and funny, but I think if you watch Raiders of the Lost Ark, there's a lot of goofy, funny stuff in that as well. Like, and so that's part sure. of like, 
what's baked in the franchise. But, you know, critics can be curmudgeon and maybe that's what they pick. I do think that is so much of what this franchise is, is like, because I was trying to find the meaning of the movie. I was watching this and I was like, this movie's just fun. Like, it's almost Mission Impossible style in the sense of like, we're just here to have a good time. Don't think about it too much. I do think there's a lot to that. And, but I think the reason that this one matters more or is like the best film in the franchise is because I'm going to jump into this now. Uh, I think it's because this is a movie about father, son. It's one of the most influential father, son movies uh, ever. And you see the way these two guys are like going back and forth and that relationship like makes it come to life. And Harrison Ford never really has someone who he acts against like Sean Connery. There's weird, like, I can't think of another performance like Harrison Ford when he's in a movie, like Mark Hamill is not going to outshine Harrison Ford, you know, like the robots and blade runner aren't going to outshine Harrison <laughs> Ford. The little boy in witness is not going to outshine him. Like Tommy Lee Jones, like, yeah, is good, but he's in what two scenes of Tommy Lee Jones in the fugitive. Right. Like there's very few times where someone's actually against Harrison Ford and makes him sharper and makes him better. And so like that sort of idea was so charming and so meaningful um, that I think it really pops. It really makes this movie come to life. And that's why it resonated with me so much. The other reason I love this movie and I think it's so meaningful is because the reason Raiders of the Lost Ark falls apart for me a little bit is once they capture, like Harrison Ford has that big bazooka and then they capture him. And then the last 20 minutes, it's just him tied up with Marin on a post. And they're like, what do we do? We close our eyes and then everyone melts. It's kind of, it's such a great movie, but the ending really falls flat for me in Raiders of the Lost Ark. Every time I watch it, like the last 10 minutes, I'm like, I can turn it off, skip it over. The last 15 minutes of this movie, from the moment Sean Connery is shot, that last 15 minutes are incredible. And I think, an, I think the third act is the hardest thing to do in a movies. And so I'm like, man, I'm so locked into this third act in a way that Raiders of the Lost Ark kind of fizzles for me a little bit. And so those, that relationship and that third act is why I'm like, this is a really punchy, powerful movie and why I do think it's the best one in the franchise. They certainly have a whole lot more to do at the end. I mean, the face, the face melting in front of the arc of, of the covenant is like top 10 most iconic moments in cinema. So I have, I have a hard time with that, but, but the scene is not that great. Like you're not feeling in the scene. Like, like it's a great meme and it's a great gift, but you're just <laughs> like, it's literally like when it was yeah. storytelling, like it doesn't do anything. It's like, okay, you're just going to be tied up against this pole. And then he's like, right. uh, close your eyes. Why? I don't know. God doesn't like Nazis. And then everyone melts. Like, like it doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't make sense story-wise. It's not motivated. It's not character driven. It just kind of like, ah, oh, we got to end this thing. Act of God go. Like, like it, that's how I feel watching the last of Raiders which, Lost Ark. Which Spielberg is notorious for ending his movies with an act of God, i.e. Jurassic Park. You could name a whole bunch. Right. And this is such a big step forward for Spielberg, which is like, Hey, I'm given a character-driven moment to actually for a young right. man to save his dad. Like, if you, like, I think every man wants to do that. Every man wants to be like, okay, I'm going to be the one. And if my dad really needs me, there's going to be a day where I'm going to reach out and save him and help him. And the last 15 minutes of this movie are like emotionally, like, am I on an island here? Do I have to like defend this? Like, I think the last 15 minutes are so gripping when he's there bleeding to death. And it's like, I've got to save my dad. I'm like, that's meaningful. Like, not in a like philosophical way but just in a basic human way well there's so much i mean if we're going there there is so much in that once you're in the they call it the the uh what is that the cavern of the crescent moon or the what was that the the, the valley of the crescent the moon. valley of the crescent moon once they're in that that whole sequence there it's some of my favorite moments in any indie franchise is the 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 three booby traps he has to go through but which is just fun and then and then the when he gets into the room and they have to pick the chalice you have chosen poorly is one of my favorite lines of any indie movie ever love it and <laughs> it's just so great like my my family still jokes about that it's so great <laughs> So, uh, so the guy, the guy before him, his face melts, which I guess it's just a repeat of essentially Raiders, right? That's that moment. And, and there are so many repeats from Raiders in this movie, but I was surprised at how I would clock it and be like, I don't care though. This is still great. It's like, it's playing the greatest hits in a way that like, I, I know they're doing it and I don't care. Like, I love it, which well, is really hard to do. 
So the other thing we haven't talked about, which is the whole opening of the movie, I also think this is in my top 10 openings of all time. River Phoenix, who was going to be the next Harrison Ford, like he's the guy. And they're playing all these jokes that are totally dependent on you knowing the character. They're playing the joke of right. like, he jumps on the horse and he misses the horse. They're playing the joke of he falls in the snake pit. They're playing the joke of he takes the whip and doesn't know how to use it. Like all these jokes work so well. And I'm like, this is what a part three should be, which is actually like building on its own mythology to kind of like do something different and fun, but it's still enjoyable. And I, I thought like it's playing the greatest hits, but not just playing with them. It's actually expanding a character and doing new, interesting, different things rather than just repeating the greatest hits. That opening, I was watching it and thinking like, how much faith do you have to have in your character, not your actor, right? Because this is a Harrison Ford led franchise right? This is right. not what it is without Harrison Ford, right? So to open the first 15 minutes of the movie, I, I looked at, at the runtime, 15 minutes without Harrison Ford on screen is like, we believe in this character enough that we know we are going to do almost the entire first act of this movie. That's a great point, Andrew. With, without showing Harrison Ford, without Harrison Ford in the movie. And th- that, that kind of blew my mind. And then how how engaging it was. And they do like all the things that now I hate the prequels do. Like this is how he got his hat. This is how he got the whip. This is how he got and his you hat. loved it. And right? you like, loved it. <laughs> like when I watch a prequel, yeah. I don't want to, I don't care. Like stop telling me all of that. I don't care. But like this was so charming. But, well, but that, was I, I, I was that was never done before. That was never done before like this. So now here, here, this is an interesting thing. This is not a little trivia moment, but but this is an Indiana <laughs> Jones moment. Is I don't know if you knew, but between Raiders and The Last Crusade, there was a young Indiana Jones television show. Oh yeah, that's true. That ran and and it was it was it was good. I mean, I liked it as a kid because it was anything Indiana Jones ish, but it was horrible and didn't do in a whole like season of Young Indiana Jones what the movie did in in those first. 20 minutes or whatever, 15, 15 minutes, whatever 15 it was. 15 minutes. I mean, it, it really was great Indiana Jones filmmaking. Now, to me, I know I'm, ju- I'm jumping ahead here, Rob, a little bit, but right, I felt like the scene right after this in the boat was one of the scenes that I'm like, we don't even, we don't need that now. We can go from the, the young Indiana Jones moment to the university into the story without having to have this second boat scene because basically that, I felt like the young Indiana Jones scene did everything we needed to get into the story. I feel like they had a cool idea for a shot, which was like a match cut of his hat goes down. He comes up and they're like, ah, what do we do? We'll put him on a boat. (laughs) He fights, it blows up, whatever. Like I do agree that whole five minutes. I was like checking my watch. I was like, okay, I get it. (laughs) He's on a boat. It's going to blow up the end. But what, I mean, River Phoenix's like performance is more like Harrison Ford in 15 minutes than and I hate to say this, but the entire movie of Solo, you know, right. that, that just came out. Oh, uh, great point there. Totally, right? totally like he's, he's, he's not impersonating Harrison Ford, but his specific kind of charm, like he, he embodies is, it, is yeah. so Harrison Ford that like, um, what, what else, like, what about that kind of storytelling, though? Because you're right, it does set the stage for where we're going in, in, in this movie in such an engaging way. Um, John, like, what is it specifically about that that works so well that drew you in? Like, from storytelling-wise? I mean, I, I just think all the little pieces, and especially if you're a fanboy like I, I was and I still am, like, it just checked all the boxes, and, and it did it in such a fun way that, and it was so campy. I mean, the whole film, I don't know if you watched it, but like the, the giraffes sticking out of the top of the train are so obviously fake and you don't, you just buy it. The little flags flowing, but there's so many, there's so much intentional campiness yeah. and you just love it, you know, from the, the guy with the, that's the sort of the model of the pre Indiana Jones, the, 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 you know, the guy in the beginning with the leather jacket and the hat that gives him the hat. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the whole thing, this belongs in a museum. All the moments are there. And I don't know. It just, the it, you know, and you said it, Andrew, I don't know if this makes any difference, but this, in 1989-ish, the the Berlin Wall, I think, was just coming. There's a lot of, like, right. angst in the world. And we just, I think we need it right now, too, in our society as a in time in history. But people wanted to just laugh and smile and get in, just, like, immersed in an adventure 
And it did that in every way. So the thing that I think makes this movie so meaningful is that Indiana Jones is human in a way that he's not in Raiders of the Lost Ark. Raiders of the Lost Ark, he always does the thing. He's superhuman. He's almost like a superhero. Here he does like miss the horse. He does have a dad and he wants his dad to accept him. Like he has an arc in a way like Raiders of the Lost Ark. There is no arc. (laughs) You know, there's an arc of the covenant, but there is no character arc. And this movie there actually, I would argue is a character arc, particularly for him and his dad. He needs to like make things right with his dad. And that's what this whole movie is about of like this dad who is always distant, who is always more into archaeology than he was his own son. And I think Indiana Jones, the character is asking himself those same questions. Showing that character development of Indy, that, that the scene where the girl reaches down for the cup and, and Indy drops her hand at the end there. And then the, we have that exact same scene then a, a minute later where Indy's in the hole and he chooses, you know, that, that to me that, that, that shows his character arc moving was he grabs his dad's hand, you know, where the museum is not the most important thing. Just to, st- to stick with that opening sequence, because I think it's so fascinating, just a little bit longer. I was getting really strong, like, I know we're a bunch of Lost fans in this crew. I was getting really strong, like, Sawyer vibes from, from this idea that, like, the man that he models his entire adult personality off of is actually, like, a villain, in quotes, in his childhood. Right? Huh. Like, yeah, yeah. like it's not, it's actually not, it's actually not his dad. He's not not modeling his life after his dad. Right. It's like he, he sees this guy he wants to be, but with like one tweak, he's like, I'm going to be this guy, but I'm going to put it in a museum. But this, this, this guy was like an antagonist to him as well as being a role model. And I think that the convergence of that, of, of, of those two things of him actually you realizing that he's like modeled everything he's doing off of this bad guy in his childhood is like really interesting to me of well, like, okay, like how did he get here? Well, even later on, like once he's in the professor scene, he's like, archeology span isn't about like chasing after stuff. Is it, like he says all this stuff, which we know that's exactly what archeology span is to him. And then he even says, you know, X never ever marks the spot and they pay that off. Like so great. And so he's even yeah. like, it's almost like Indiana Jones is the side of him that's like, okay, it's a little bit of the pirate. It is a little bit of the bad side. It is a little bit of the like, okay, I've got to yeah. be, that's what it takes to actually win the treasure is to be that. Totally. Um, so what was the most meaningful scene to you, John? Was it that scene with Elsa reaching down and Sean Connery and all that sort of stuff? What was your most meaningful scene? You know, um, it's funny because now that we're talking about it, um, I'm, there's a number of scenes that pop through my head. What I originally wrote down in my answer to that question was, it doesn't need to have a meaningful scene. It's an Indiana Jones movie. <laughs> um, that's, really, that's really what I, what I have in my notes, which is what Andrew said in the beginning. And I, I mean, honestly, to a large degree, like there's not that, I wish I could say there's this, like I felt like with, with Titanic last week, there was like, it's obvious. Like you can find that scene. Sure. I was kind of hunting for the like, okay, what's that meaningful scene? And there's a few quotes and quips and maybe that's the moment for me. That's the most meaningful. Um, the dad moment of uh, that would be it. But really I didn't think there was a scene that was like, Oh my gosh, grip my heart meaningful. And the movie was still good, which is what makes it great to me. Andrew, do you have one? Yeah. Well, um, I, nah, I mean, I, I, I think the thing that John just said, that scene, the reason for the cup, right. It's like one of the most iconic things. I was like waiting for that scene in, in this, in this movie. And when it happened, I was so confused thematically about why that was the moment, the idea of Sean Connery reaching down and being like, you have to let go. Like Sean Connery has been obsessed with this his whole life. He hasn't let go of it. We haven't seen him unless he like found peace while he was shot. Like, it seemed like this weird reversal of like, this is what it all means of like, Indy learned from like, oh, he has to embrace like, I was like, like uh, his relationship with family. And it's not all about archaeology, but I was like, nothing in this movie has been pointing at this. And so it felt like kind of an empty resolution, like maybe a lack of hubris, a lack of pride. All of these villains die because of their like, oh, I know everything. And but I don't know if maybe I missed something. I wanted to ask you guys because I know that's supposed to be a really meaningful moment. And when I watched it this time, I thought it was pretty empty and not actually connected to the story at all. 
Yeah, I mean, it wasn't my most meaningful scene, but it was like a, hey, the, what the Nazis are doing is they're going after this stuff as treasure and out of like getting it for some sort of greater good. And for them, it's like the quest is, you know, the journey is more important than the destination, right? Like the quest of like looking for something and finding something, like that's it. It's hmm. just kind of that, like, it's almost like finding Bigfoot. It's like, I found Bigfoot. Now you don't need to take him home and like make him your pet. Like you can just know that Bigfoot exists. Like I think for him, it was just like the validation of that. And then seeing like for Sean Connery, you have to think about this through the whole movie, which was like, he's actually seeing a side of archaeology that he's never seen before. He's seen burning of books. He's seen going to war. He's seeing Nazi, like Harrison Ford, Indiana Jones, like has kind of dealt with that his whole life for Sean Connery's character. It's like, I've never seen any of that. And I've seen all this devastation. It's like enough. It's time to stop. We found the thing. Don't stop chasing the thing to, to your own destruction. Like let it go. And even when they leave the temple, like what he asks Sean Connery, like, they literally asked the question, like, what's the meaning? He's like, what did you find in there? And what is Sean Connery says? He's like, I found enlightenment. And so he's illumination, sort of, that's yeah, right. illumination. Yeah. And so he's like, he's like, I realized like what, what was most important to me. And there's all sorts of like interpretations. Like I interpreted that like Indy, you're the most important thing. And then they go to ask Harrison sure. Ford the same question. Like, what did you find in there? And then he's like, before he can answer, Sala jumps in like junior, your name's junior. And then it's like, I named the dot, you know, all that stuff happens. And Harrison Ford, Indiana Jones never gets to give his answer to that question. But I thought that was the big thesis of the movie, which was like, again, this, like every man, like not to get really deep in the deep end, but like men for the most part. that's what this podcast is all about, right? I mean, I think so. Men for the most part are all about the quest, right? Like we're, we're driven more for the quest than we are even the people around us. Like our careers are, can be so much more important than our family or that sort of thing. And I thought this was a movie that kind of makes the basic argument, which is like, this is two guys who should have been talking to each other, who weren't talking to each other and living each other. They were, they were like facing in different directions, chasing, you know, people from 800 years ago, like instead of like talking to each other. And that's why my most yeah. meaningful scene was the scene in the dirigible where he's like, dad, you never talked to me. And then his dad says, you left. Okay. now, just as you were getting interesting. <laughs> and then he's like, well, what did you want to talk about? Let's talk. And he's like, I don't know that whole exchange. Right. I'm like, I've had conversations like that with my yep. dad and I, I was sitting totally. there like, okay, that's what the heart of this movie is. That little exchange right there. Like that's what it's all about. And yeah, it's fun. And there's not a lot of like crying and I'm so sorry, but just those like awkward moments of like a father and son trying to understand each other. That's what the heart of yeah. this film is. And that's why I think it's so powerful. I, I feel like I would just like, in, in that moment with like him hanging on the cliff, like reaching for the cup, I wish they'd just like rewrote the dialogue, everything the same moment, but have like Harrison Ford, like in, in DB, like it's right there. I can get it. I can get it for you. Right. Like this is what your life has all been about. I can, I can reach it. I can get it for you. And, and to have his dad said, but we found it. We found it together. Now let go. Right. Like just something like that. But all the dad says is you just need to let go. And I was like, eh, what is this? Like some Buddhist thing. And like, I, I don't under what, um, but I, I, I do think you're right, Rob. I, I, I think that is like the meaning, but I think in like all of the hijinks, I wasn't necessarily fully tracking with that. Um, because that, that is, I think what is so connecting about this movie to like fathers and sons is this idea of like, even when you think you should sit down and like, Oh, let's talk and have a heart to heart. You're like, uh, I don't, what are we going to talk about? Let's, I don't know. Let's go bowling. Right. Like you, it oftentimes you connect over the activity. And so these two men connecting over this passion of their lives is actually the like really spiritually connecting thing for them. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. You know, I, th I think, I think a lot of the, a lot of the quest type movies and, and that's a right. It's own category, whether it's a Lord of the Rings or Indiana Jones, it's not about the quest. It's not about obviously the cup or the arc or the, what was the temple of doom thing? I don't know. Uh, all I remember is the guy getting his heart ripped out of his chest. What was the thing? All I remember. They were looking for something. What was the, I don't remember. They were just trying I mean, to survive, he, man. Stuff got real dark. I mean, he, he, he ate some crazy alive snake stuff, I think. I don't know. Uh, but, that movie's so but, forgettable. But I think all the quests are, are, are just about, it's about finding something that's not, not the thing. It's not, it's not the object of your desire. It's the other thing. That's always what it is. Right. So in this case, it was the, what was lost was the relationship with his father. And that's what was found, not the cup. 
And I think maybe in the first movie, it was a relationship maybe with the girl or with, I don't know what that was in, in, in Raiders, but certainly in this one, it was a lost relationship that was then kind of found in some, in some way through their adventure together. Yeah. And I would say this is probably the most meaningful of the three, even though I would argue I might like Raiders more um, just as far as like a fun watch. Um, uh, yeah. Like I, I don't even know if there is like a meaning, you know, Raiders, I, I, Raiders is very James Bondy, right? Like not a lot of growth. He just I, does, the thing. I, but it could be in Raiders. What it might be is there's a few times in the movie where, where, where Indiana Jones character sort of doesn't, acknowledge that there's anything out there in terms of mystery or the supernatural or whatever. Oh, sure. And by the end, he has to come to the conclusion there's things he can't quite, like maybe that's what happens is that's what he discovers. I, I don't know. But but certainly yeah. in this one, it's the father's son thing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I do think, you know, and again, what is the ultimate like meaning or what's the one sentence who really knows? Like, I think part of what, why I like this podcast and like talking about these things is like, what makes this movie meaningful? You know, like that's, sort of it. And like, the, again, that Sean Connery performance is so great. So um, what about least meaningful scene? Is there a, is there a scene that really like detracted from the movie or like took you out of it as far as like meaning? Yeah. For, for me, um, the, uh, the scene where they go and get the notebook from Berlin, I feel like that whole sequence was just like, what if Indy met Hitler? That was the pitch. And then they just tried to shoehorn it in the middle of the movie. And it's kind of funny when like he signs the notebook, but like it's, it's Hitler, right? Like it's so jarring. I thought, and then his whole interaction with Elsa there is like really not okay. It pushes the like man's man thing to like a really misogynistic point where I was like, this is problematic. Like he grabs it by the neck and he's like, all I have to do is squeeze. And you're like, good Lord. Like, back it down Indy. like that's really rough um and so i was like i could kind of do without this whole moment i kind of don't need it and it was just to get the book back and it felt like they were just like well we have nazis what if Indy met hitler that'd be fun and so they kind of take a whole left turn for 15 minutes to do it and i didn't think it mattered it does feel like that that moment i can tell you in the theater like real time that got like the biggest laugh of the movie and i was like it's so crazy when, to get when it. he signs the thing. Yeah. When he signs it. I mean, it, I remember sitting in the theater and just, and actually I went and saw it in the theater, uh, in downtown Austin, they did a revival showing of it. That's part of the reason I wanted to talk about it. Cause I was like, Oh, I want to go see it. So saw it in a packed out theater. And again, like got a huge laugh and it's weird to get like a laugh from Hitler. Like now with Jojo rabbit, like that's, you know, a little bit more, but sure. like, um, it, it was such a moment in the theater, but I do agree. It was almost like, a sight guy. Like I really like that whole sequence, like at least the Nazis and seeing the heart of it. And like, just because it's so powerful, you're like, Oh, I, the meaning that I put in that is you're like, Oh yeah, these guys are evil. And these guys are villains. And this is not just like, Oh, they're what like, it kind of reminds you of how dark they are. And it is interesting that four years later, Spielberg would, who is Jewish would go on and make Schindler's list, you know, like, and so I, was, I wondered right. actually while I was watching it, like, is this the scene that sort of, inspired like really going down or like maybe actually should finally make that movie about the Holocaust. And so I couldn't help but thinking about that watching this. Yeah. And I, I think all of the, all of that is a fair point. Um, I think I was more jarred by his reaction to, to Elsa. Cause like, he's always been a little rough around the edges, but it was so like problematically misogynistic, which I know it's like 30 years, 40 years ago, however long it was. Um, but like, to a point where I was like, this is, this is a, this is like a problem. No, uh, it, it, it was, it was really sort of not, not feel, feel gross about what, what he was doing. Yeah. It was, it was dark and unnecessary and would never make it through now. And it was like, oh man, that's, that's a lot. Um, John, did you have a least meaningful scene? You know, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, this I, movie is perfect i i watched it thinking what would i take out and maybe it's the boat scene that i talked about earlier because sure. i didn't think you totally needed it but but when you mentioned that transitional scene of the hat that that is that's a great i mean i almost create that scene just for that moment too so maybe that's that's why they have it there they could have just um, done it shorter like it's like a they, five minute sequence it could have been like a minute yes it definitely could have been shorter um and i it was surprising to me that there were so many chase scenes in this i forgotten like i thought there was a little more drama a little more like puzzling and figuring things out and there was just like 
like 90% riding horses and tanks and, and motorboats and escaping narrow escapes. And, and it was almost to the point where it's okay. Okay. okay now really another one. And it just kept happening, which, you know, I love that's Indiana Jones. That's what you expect. It really is set piece to set piece to set piece. To set piece. That's, that's exactly what it was. It was one after another. Um, yeah, it was like the greatest hit. What I thought was, it was the greatest hit set, and it was it was bringing back all the set pieces from the other movies. Almost, it yep. felt like the the horse thing and the tank thing and all that, in in the boats. Um, and then I couldn't help thinking to myself, like, how in the world is Harrison Ford at eighty one years old going to do anything? Like, I, he did so much of his own practical stunt work in that, and he had a stunt guy, but a lot of it he did himself, which he's notorious for. How's he going to do that in this? Next indie movie. I'm I'm imagining it'll be like he'll be the Sean Connery, and this girl daughter figure will be the next upcoming Indiana Jones. Which I think, Andrew, to your point, they definitely want to do that. You know, they they want to have the next Indiana Jones be Indiana at or whatever you call it. Yeah. Well, it just to, to sort of look at like this movie's treatment of women. I thought it was interesting based on Raiders how good of a character. What's her name? Marianne. 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 Um, how great of a character she is. She's like a Princess Leia style, like, I'm not going to take your lip. Very strong. And not just because she can drink guys under the table, but like, she's doing her own thing and she's not dependent on Indy. And how hard of a left turn they make on Temple of Doom with the, the love interest in that. And then even this one, like, oh, she's a doctor, but she pretty much is going to spend the entire movie screaming. Um, well, and being a villain, she's always like, oh, but I'm really, you know... <laughs> I'm really villainous and oh, but I'm sweet, but I'm villainous. And it was just like, yeah, she was really thin. I, if I was picking like least meaningful character, she was pretty much it, which is sad because she right. was kind of the representation of women. Like she was the only, you know, woman character in the right. movie. And I was like, ah, eh, there's which, no Mary. It, it just seems odd that it went in that direction. Like they did such a good job at the beginning of the series. And then they were like, oh, never mind. Did you guys have a most meaningful character, a character that really like jumped out to you and were like, Oh, this this character I find so much meaning in. Well, I think for me it might be Indiana Jones. <laughs> <laughs> what? Say more. <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, obviously that uh, that's that, that that's like, and I mean, Sean Connery's character certainly made the movie, right? So the two of them together, um, one of the two, but. I mean, Indy's Indy, and I thought I thought he was at the top of his game, his Indiana Jones game in this movie. He was fun. He was witty. He was, uh, to your point, Rob, more deeply emotional, and there's more of a more of a, a character arc. I mean, he's he's he was the character for sure for me. What do you think, Rob? I I think Sean Connery is just again for sure Ford, but he just brought such a wrinkle. And the moment in the movie that actually made me emotional is when he's in the tank and he flies off the cliff and everyone's looking there and Sean Connery just close upon him and he's like, there's so many things I didn't say. Like five minutes, mm-hmm. what, what I could have said in five minutes. And he said, and I, I felt it, like even as a dad, as a man, it's like, oh, all those things that you just don't say that you're like, okay, I think I could have said them, you know, like, and so his performance in that, like, that's what, again, gave the movie such weight and depth to me. Yeah. The sort of side character for me that surprised me, I mean, it's like one moment, so it's not the full, full character, the like guardian of the grail when they're in the boats and they're about to get chopped up and he's like fine with it. And he's like, my, like my soul is at peace. Can you say the same about yours? And like India's trying to threaten him, like tell me what I want to know or I'm going to chop your head off. And he's like, that's, that's fine. And like the peace of like, I know that holding this information is more important than me. Um, and just that, level of calm and like assuredness in like your life's purpose to me i was like oh i definitely don't have that and then to see indy be like nope i don't either and like stop and jump off the boat um to me that was like sort of a that's a great call um, yeah he was a meaningful a meaningful moment from a very minor character but really kind of hit yeah he he was so meaningful in the movie and just his presence and and it also gave this mythos of like the holy grail and searching for the holy grail and you know like of all artifacts to ever search, like, yeah, the Ark of the Covenant is something, but you look at history and it is like, for whatever reason, the Holy Grail is the Holy Grail of searches. And so having that character (laughs) actually like leveled it up another, a whole notch of like, oh, wow, there's this whole society that's here to protect it. And that's part of the reason it was never found. Uh, I thought that was so great. 
Um, okay. Any other thoughts that you guys have on the meaning of the movie? Anything that we didn't cover discuss? No, Rob on that. Well, one thought I just had was on that scene you, you just pointed out with, with, uh, uh, um, Sean Connery looking over the edge of the cliff, you know, that's what they do over and over again in Indiana Jones is as soon as you think there might be the opportunity for a little deeper, like development, they ripped the rug out from under you. It happened in the, in the, in the, uh, the dirigible when they were up in the, with that scene where he says, well, now's the time. And they don't go there. They just, they never go there. And then on the, the edge of the cliff. And then of course, Harrison Ford comes up behind him and looks down, which is a great scene. But, but that moment they, he doesn't let you go there. And even in the end, they never, I know you, you brought up that point is they ask Sean Connery, you know, what the, meaning is and he gives it and then Harrison Ford never gets to give the meaning and then they go on from there yeah. so I don't know that's that's part of it I think is they want to keep you keep you guessing a little bit and I think that's what you know like kind of what you guys are arguing which is what makes this movie so charming is it's not preachy it's not overly serious it's not overly like sacramental of like oh this is a deep meaningful thing that we have it's like no like Spielberg would say like I wanted people to have fun at the movie theater I wanted them to enjoy it but I'm like, I don't know. I watched this movie and I'm like, I think there's something more here. And again, where going back to the trilogy thing, like this thing in a trilogy in and of itself is like such the perfect end capper. I mean, literally the last shot of the movie is these guys riding off into the sunset. And I'm like, why <laughs> did sure. you ruin this? Why did you ruin it? Why did you touch it again? It would have been like an all-time mic drop sort of way to end a series with that. And I was just like, Part threes, to me, so rarely land the plane and so really rarely tell a meaningful story that this one like elevates everything around it, elevates the mythos. And that's why I think it's worth watching. That's why I think it's worth talking about. There it is. All right. Well, on that, that is our episode on Last Crusade. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to subscribe on wherever you get your podcasts. And we'll see you next time on The Meaning of the Movie. So before we go, I've got to ask you guys, what do you think about a five? Well, I Indiana love Jones, Indiana Jones five, which is, they say in pre-production now, they say it's with the, the gal from that Fleabag TV show is the protagonist, is the, is the female co-star. Oh, what do you think? What do you think about, which I think could be really interesting. I love she's her by actress. the way. She's awesome. Yeah. She's just so quirky and fun and could really CB be Waller Bridge. That's right. Yeah. That's who it is. Yeah. So what do you think about it? I mean, is that a bad idea? A good idea? Is, should, should, is that horrible? Like, what do you think? Well, this is probably sacrilegious, but if Spielberg was directing it, I would be out. Like, I'd be like, I don't even want to see it. And Spielberg's my guy. Like, he may be my favorite director ever. That's a whole different conversation, but Spielberg is my guy. But still, I'm like, you've had your time. You've had your shot. James, is it Mangold, Andrew? Is that, is that how you say Yeah, I think him? so, yeah. Um, He did, yeah. you know... This movie called Identity with John Cusack that I love, like a horror movie set in there. Such a great movie. Uh, and then Amazing movie. His claim to fame is Logan with uh, the, the X-Men, you know, Hugh Jackman, Patrick. It's an incredible talk about. It's incredible. I mean, that's a meaning of the movie movie right there. Right. Talk, yeah, that is. Talk about yeah, I mean, like talk- a character that you left and then revisit years and years and years later. That's such a perfect example. And it is a... It is a mic drop of how powerful and poignant it is. And so what he does with that story, I'm like, man, if he can tap into this Logan sort of vibe, like I'm going to go into the ethos of the character, but find something totally new and something totally different than no one else has found before. Like that gives me hope. And that's why I'll be there opening night. I, I feel like it can't do worse than four <laughs> just to be cynical. <laughs> Right. Like four was four was trying to do something so wonderful of like visiting all the best of the trilogy. Right. They bring Marion back. They try to do a father son thing. They've got the like dad's friend played by John Hurt. Right. Yep. This this time around, it's like all these great like remember when let's go on one last ride together and bring the best of and do this fun thing, which I really like that idea. And it just fumbles so hard. That like none of it's good. <laughs> that like at this point, I'm kind of like, yeah, let's like let's give it a shot. Like we can't do worse. So like either either 
five, four and five, we can just completely ignore, or maybe it'll like bring it back and make the additions worth it. You know, part four is I my mean, most I, disappointing movie in a theater ever, by the way, I, I, the movie oh, ended and I sat there and I was like, did that just happen? Where am I? I mean, I, I felt like I feel every Nebraska Cornhusker football season <laughs> <laughs> watching that movie. I just thought, how far have we gone? Like, why? Like, why? Why? How did we do this? This, we had all, everything. Like, we had the, so uh, I'm hopeful. I mean, I do kind of feel like with Indiana Jones, I, it's not the kind of a franchise that I want to see die. The, I want the character to live on. Like, I would love for them to James Bond Indiana Jones, and which I maybe that's sacrilegious to say because I do love Harrison Ford, but but Harrison Ford is to me he's not Indiana Jones anymore. He just isn't. He can't be. No. And I and I and I, I, I mean you know how I feel about the movies, but I I'm I'm excited about the idea of there being a new generation of Indiana Jones or Jones at or whatever she is. You know, uh, Jones for, is a last name. You don't have to put. An I know for my, but for my kids to watch and enjoy, and for a, a new generation of filmmakers to make, that's exciting to me. I think that, that that's cool. Because so, even though we'll there's see. been so many carbon copies of this movie, nothing else has got near to the magic of it. There's been no other like adventure. It's like, oh, this is an Indiana Jones type of movie, but I can't like National Treasure. Like I can't think of another National movie. Treasure that, the Mummy. Yeah, it's like, National Treasure the Mummy. Try Laura Croft tried. Uh, romancing the stone tried even the jungle cruise i heard is horrible and tried um, it's not horrible it's just basically someone picked up the script for pirates of the caribbean and said what if we put this in the jungle and added the rock to it yeah so that, you know it's not terrible that it's is what it is something else that. but it's, anyway, a, it's such yeah. a fall off you know like as great as indiana jones yeah. is and as much as it inspired so many other things there's like nothing even close in the same ballpark mm -hmm. and so that's why i'm right. like okay if someone else can figure this out like I like, let's keep trying. Cause like you said, Andrew, you're playing with house money now because you wrecked it so bad in part four. <laughs> exactly. Right. Like we can either say, just watch the original trilogy or we can say, Oh yeah. Like it's worth it to get to five. Like, or you can just not. It's up in the air. I'm hoping, I'm hoping it'll have what Star Trek had, which was like every other one was good. Maybe this will be like another good one. So. Maybe there it is.